0: Okay, so welcome to the first uh, Apps blog podcast. This has been uh, recorded in an echoey uh, seminar room at the PSA's, uh, APSA's, uh, Learning and Teaching Conference in Portland. So I'm Simon Ashwood. I'm uh, from the University of Surrey. And then going round the circle that you can't see because it's a podcast, we've got Chad Raymond.
1: From? from Salve Regina University in Newport, Rhode Island, brand new chair of the Department of Cultural, Environmental, and Global Studies. And You can see the radiant
2: glow of how happy he is. Okay, second. Uh, Victor Assal at the uh, University of Albany SUNY in the wonderful city of Albany, okay. New York.
3: Amanda Rosen at Webster University in St. Louis.
4: Michelle Allendorfer from George Washington University in Washington, D.C.
0: And it's pretty just worth saying that uh, for four people in the room. This is their, pretty much their first podcasting experience, so uh, forgive us if we're a bit rusty uh, how we do that. One of the things that we, we usually do around TSE is we write uh, posts about things we've taken from the conference. So this time we're trying to do this in uh, audio form, so I'm just going to ask people to, to come up with things that uh, they've been struck by with what we do. So maybe, uh, Chad, do you want to start us off? Uh-huh. What has
1: struck me the most so far is the principle that everything in a simulation needs to have a clear purpose, and if it doesn't, get rid of it. Uh, this basically is the essence of, of backwards design. You start with your learning objectives, and then you work backward from there.
0: Okay. And any examples of that, or what you, where you can see you Uh. From?
1: Well. The the. The example that we we sort of talked about uh, earlier today was uh, the the problem that I and some other people face when uh, in a role-playing exercise uh, students do not stick to the roles that they've been assigned and I think I had lost sight of the importance of this principle where you may not need to have roles uh, or you may not need to have them as, uh, make, make them as complex, uh, uh, but just keep the essential stuff, and it might work much better.
0: Okay. great. Anyone else wants to jump in and say anything more about that? Okay. I mean, I,
3: I have something totally different. Um, so, we go to the simulations in games track. we've been doing this for years, and it's traditional in some ways and not in others, right? So, we present papers, and we talk about papers, and it's different from the APSA or other conferences because instead of going to whatever panel you like we all stay together for the two days and we've all really liked that and benefited from that but something that struck me after attending this conference for six years is how it's such a missed opportunity because we're presenting papers on games and simulations as opposed to actually running them and we've actually had three different games and simulations that were run as part of the presentations. So um, I presented on the Zendo game that I've blogged about before and a new way of doing it that I think worked really well. Victor um, ran his uh, running game on um, structure, rationale, actor and culture which was great and Gretchen Geith did um, sort of a mini version of her simulation on a crisis in Chechnya. And what was fascinating to me was that, you know, during a typical session, we're sitting around our table, people have their laptops out. They're taking notes or doing other things on their computers, just like students do. But as soon as somebody said, no, we're going to play a game now, all the computers were put away. Everyone was looking up. Everyone was engaged exactly like we say we're going to do with our students. So I think we should jettison at least one of the two simulations in game sections. Leave one for presenting traditional papers on evaluation and design and things like that, and then the other one should just be running games.
0: People think that might be a good idea? Is that something that would work?
1: I, I think the conference would be a lot more productive that way.
2: Okay. So I think, uh, I think that's, that's a definite strong possibility. Uh, I think another possibility would be to, uh, because I think people should do papers. I think papers are important for us in terms of advancing the pedagogy, uh, the researcher pedagogy, but I think that we could combine the papers with presenting the simulations or the games, the exercises, that I think would work. Uh, Another idea for both tracks would be to have uh, Who wanted to give that experience to both tracks would be to say we're setting aside uh, two or three of the sessions, and if you're presenting in two or three of these sessions, you're you're running a sim, and that way you could have a combination of some that are more assessment papers and some that are more running sim papers. But you would be guaranteed sorry not sim papers running uh, a, a sim or a game, but that way you would guarantee that at least for two or three sessions, people would have the experience of seeing what, what, what these games are like.
0: Yeah, and,
2: and for me, that was one of the things I've retaken from this, again, is that
0: way in which, you know, my paper was about uh, how do you get people who haven't done simulations before to mm-hmm. do simulations, um, and how do you train them and expose them? So that, the key part of it is about playing games and then designing games. Um, and so here that really resonates. You know, resonates, that, you know we've, we've heard presentations about games, but they are probably, we're less likely to be using those in our own teaching as compared to the ones that we've played because we know how to play the game and we can see how the mechanic works and we understand it from the student's perspective. So again, it's that, that tension. I think you're right there, Victor, saying you know, that there is a place for papers but there is also a place for the more experiential side and those two things can you know you could write a paper but then the the presentation uh, with the air quotes is the actual playing of the game so that people can get a feel for it and uh, do that and I think you know that's that's been something you know that sort of always floats around that you know papers sometimes about games are about my experience of the game rather than about the things that might be useful for other people so it's the audience that we write for, I think, is, is always attention. Yeah.
3: I'm, I'm going to come out as an extremist on this subject, because... An
0: extremist? An you, extre-
3: Amanda? I know, I know. I'm, I'm shocked. I know. Um, I. It's not that I don't value papers, but for these, these games, I'm more interested in the game, the design of the game, the redesign of the game, and the fine-tuning of it, how we can adapt it, how we can extend it, how we can port it to other disciplines. So for me, the paper of the game can just be the write-up of the game, and maybe a little bit on the experience, but um, I don't think that every simulation, every game needs to be evaluated, and that we need to do quantitative analysis, post-test, pre-test, um, to figure out whether it impacts learning. And you know, we don't do that with lectures, we don't do that with discussions, and the fact that we, ins- even though we have a body of literature that points out the various benefits of simulations, we still feel compelled to do this for every individual simulation. And so I would be very comfortable with a different sort of paper or write-up right. and then just playing games.
0: might maybe a good point to bring in, Michelle, because you're gonna talk about the sort of metacognitive aspect of it.
4: I was so I was thinking along that lines that we keep trying to measure student learning but that the megna, mega meta 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 the met, meta cognitive objectives that simulations could have are really valuable and so one of the presentations today was talking about how the Arab Palestinian or the Palestinian Israeli conflict is really difficult to solve and having a simulation that gives students a chance to appreciate the challenges and how difficult that is might not be a measurable learning outcome but is a valuable learning outcome and I took that away.
2: So, one of the things I took away is that um, sometimes you find out that the efforts you do towards teaching people actually pay off uh, in a really good way. So um, Gretchen Gee presented a great paper uh, and presented a phenomenal, just a really good simulation that I want want to get so that I can use in my class uh, on black widow terrorists uh, but when you read her paper, she said that uh, it really the genesis of it was a um, how to build a simulation workshop from 2013. And so it means that uh, sometimes the work that you do, and by, by you I mean a lot of the people sitting around this table, uh, can pay off in terms of teaching people how to do stuff. She took it, she made stuff, and it's really paid off in a, in a big, big way. Um, and I hope she, uh, she sends that out for a paper out for publication because it's a, it's a pretty cool simulation. And, and one of the other interesting things about it, this is kind of tangential, but I think it's interesting is that the, the simulation she created is really a com- combination of a mini case study and a simulation, and so it's a really good example of how diverse, when we say simulations or exercises or games, how diverse they can be and how different approaches can really bring different things to the table.
4: I was going to add one, just on that point, the workshop that you two did today, um, seeing some of the nodding heads around the room and the eager trying to write down all the details of the simulations you were doing, I think part of it is getting the word out and having people participate in the simulations and realize, wow, this is a really great learning opportunity. I'm learning something. I'm engaged. And then they take that and sort of pay it forward. And I saw. I think I saw a lot of that in the workshop room today. Of just people getting really yeah. engaged and, and yeah. wanting to go take those on and, and doing. And I these. think that's.
0: And I think you know, there's still that thing that simulations uh, are too much fun to be pedagogically valuable. And so you know, how can anything so enjoyable be <laughs> <laughs> of any of any merit? Learning should be painful. And yeah. So I think, you know, <laughs> Students that was, shouldn't have that fun. Was, you know, I think one of the things that we did do that by doing it, you can then draw out. You know, and Victor, I think. Did that with the, the games you were talking about, you know, the pedagogy, the, the theory, the concepts behind it, so that you know, the, the, I call students, mm-hmm. the, the delegates could see how you do that and how you scaffold it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it is still just that novelty that, you know, people are aware yeah. that there are these things out there, but they don't really know how that works. And I think that's the, still a, a, a real challenge that, on the one hand, we have this much more mature corpus of knowledge about simulations, how to make them work, the things we need to think about, although, you know, we're getting some new literatures coming in uh, with some of the papers, but at the same time it's something which is still new to a lot of people and uh, you know, a lot of people don't have the time or the necessarily the inclination to invest themselves in pedagogic research to improve their teaching, they just want something that works and works with our students.
3: Well, in some of, the, some of the games and simulations we did, I, can, I think five or six of them can be done in 10 or 15 minutes. And I think a lot of the perspective of simulations is not just they're too much fun to be good for students, but also that they take a lot of time and energy and effort by an instructor and people feel very overwhelmed. Um, and when you think about something like a Model UN or a Model EU or any of those sorts of, yeah, that takes a lot of time. But some of these are just pedagogical exercises. And Victor, you said it in a way earlier that really struck me when you were saying how you could just, uh, Victor does this uh, game about um, structure where he gives uh, balls out to various people in the classroom in different points and then they have to try to throw the ball into a box. And the idea is that they're coming, they're trying to do this from vastly different portions in the room and that they have to face different structural inequalities in order to do so. And what you said at the time was, You can just tell students this. You can just say, hey, don't you think it'd be a lot more difficult to throw a ball from the back of the auditorium classroom into a a bowl or a box in the front than it would be if you were sitting in the front row? You could just say that, but by experiencing it you give the students this common experience to draw on for the rest of the semester and they actually get to understand it more. And it's an exercise that can take five minutes, but it has lasting pedagogical value. And I think that a lot of instructors feel intimidated to try out these sorts of um, pedagogies and they really can be done with very little equipment and very little time and effort.
1: Something that Victor mentioned uh, got my attention, which was uh, graduate student courses and switching over to using simulations as a way to, to teach them. Well some of them will probably end up as faculty and they'll be teaching undergraduates or graduate yeah. students so I, I I would hope that over time this type of pedagogy gets built into graduate education. Um, when, when I was a graduate student which was not that long ago, uh, I, I didn't encounter any of this. I did encounter a, a prisoner's dilemma simulation when I was an undergrad uh, about a decade before, um, but that was it. So I think as, if we can get graduate students exposed to this, it will start to percolate through the system so that it becomes more the norm than the exception.
3: Yeah.
2: That's a challenge though. That's a big challenge because right now the norm of getting uh, professors to do something other than a seminar with their graduate students I think is, is, is pretty challenging. I will note on a different note. Uh, one thing I realized is, professors are weird, <laughs> and they're just fundamentally weird. Took you this um, long? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I know that. But but whenever I do a workshop, you know, I'm, I'm I pretty much know how the exercises are going to go when I run them with my students. They don't vary that much, right? When I run them with my graduate students, when I run them with professors, I get responses that are totally. Nuts! <laughs> Hi Michelle! Uh, <laughs> right, And they're not bad responses, they're just unusual unusual responses. So, uh, and it, so it, does, it certainly keeps me on my feet um, to do that. It's also very interesting that you give very explicit instructions to people about so for example we did this identity exercise where we asked people to pick five identities and you give very explicit instructions to people about what identities they should not pick and with my students, I know some of them are going to pick the ones I told them not to pick. And I was hoping that with faculty that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> but of course, several people picked the identities I explicitly told them not to pick. So it's like it's the same phenomenon you have where you put professors into a lecture uh, room, and even though they're professors, no one's willing to sit in the front row okay. still.
3: And, and people who ban laptops and phones in their classes are the worst, the most egregious violators in terms of being on their phones and laptops. Yes, Amanda Rose. <laughs> yes. This, uh, I, I will cop to that.
1: Uh, to me, this, this phenomenon points out that uh, if faculty were more aware of or more concerned with teaching the students that they actually have rather than the imaginary replicas of themselves. So all of us here have proven that we can learn pretty effectively by just you know, sitting in a lecture or reading a book, and our mental makeup is such that we find that interesting enough to stick with it, and then eventually we become professors. And it's a very bad assumption to make that of all of our students are exactly well, think, the same. I think
0: that's actually one of the other things that I've really taken from from the past couple of days is that, you know, we're talking about students. As you, know, as you said, Amanda, in a discussion we had yesterday, that you know we treat students as a block, undifferentiated, that they're student, all students are like this, uh, and clearly they are not. And having some recognition of that, accommodation of it, that different students are getting different things from what you do, that's not... Necessarily a bad thing, but it's still a thing that needs to be kept in mind as you, you go yeah. along.
3: It's something that struck me because um, my university has campuses uh, in around the world, and so I've had an opportunity to teach at some of those campuses. And the student bodies are very different. Hmm. Um, when I'm teaching in the United States, uh, in St. Louis, most of my students are from Missouri and Illinois, and um, I have to challenge them on the role that uh, the U.S. has in the world. They often have very Uh, one-sided viewpoint on that in terms of the U.S. is a very positive role in the world that we have to challenge. When I go teach overseas it's often the exact opposite that the U.S. has a very negative impact on the world so I have to challenge that and so it's a very um, different set of students which requires different ways of approaching teaching them.
0: Okay. Uh, Thanks for for those thoughts. Uh, It just might be useful to wrap up talking about some of the things that we've got coming up uh, from the the apps blog team so one of the things uh, that we uh, will be doing is in the early summer we'll be having uh, Chad, Victor, Amanda coming over to the UK uh, to eat poor food (laughs) for people with dodgy teeth
3: uh,
0: and also do a workshop and drink
3: a lot of tea a
0: lot of tea thank you Uh, uh, what you don't yet know is that the local beer is called tea Uh, so uh, we can do both okay. not at the same time. But the idea is that we have a workshop because uh, as the token Brit or Englander, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'm coming kind to of the <laughs> States. Uh, and uh, it's good to bring you guys over. So we've been able to do that thanks to funding from APSA and its British counterpart, PSA. So as we've got more details, uh, as we sort out the, the things, we will be putting up more information on the blog. And if you are one of our readers, now listeners, uh, in Europe, and uh, particularly the UK, we'd really like to get to meet you and see what we can do.
2: What's the British uh, Vegemite called? It's, I not that's
0: Marmite. Different. Okay. <laughs> it's not Marmite, okay. It's not the equivalent. Yeah. We'll talk about this after, okay. when we finish the recording. <laughs> Other things that people want to talk about that we're doing, I, we, we've got more guest posts coming from different people we've met. God. Uh, if you want to do a guest post uh, on anything around active learning, please just drop us a line at the website, which is activelearningps.com. There we go, all one word.
3: We also have um, a couple of uh, other workshops. Uh, Simon and I uh, will be going to Hong Kong to do uh, a workshop over there uh, for, on uh, simulation design, and Victor and I will be doing a workshop. Um, well, I guess it's a career course at ISA in March in Atlanta on uh, simulations and games. I don't know if there's still any open spots. I have no idea. In that. That. We don't know, but there might be open spots. So if you're coming to ISA this year, um, check it out. Um, you get a chance
2: to kill each other. <laughs> this is always Victor's
0: pitch. It's the, the capacity for death uh, of other people. Um, if you're interested in the workshops that we offer, please, again, go to the website. You can find the page up on the top banner. Uh, and you can find out about the range of options uh, that we have there. That's been our first podcast. It won't be our last, although we'll see how it goes. Uh, And we really look forward to hearing from you and uh, meeting you at different events. And uh, goodbye.